0: Hey, it's Bao, and this is Coffee with Bao, where I chat with awesome people about their creative process, their cultural identity, and how they continue to grow as a human being, which I really, really love. You can find all of my past episodes and get in touch with me at coffeewithbao.com. I'm gonna show you my guest right now. Today, I'm hanging out with a fellow Asian-American indie musician. He's a singer-songwriter, a film composer, and an actor. He's released five full-length albums. He's got music in several films by Ridley Scott. He's composed music for historical silent films, and he's made music for and played a fictionalized version of himself in the award-winning film, Surrogate Valentine, which then became a three movie series. And last year he composed the documentary, Be Water, about Bruce Lee, directed by Bao Nguyen. I want you guys to meet my friend and my recent Neighbor, Go Nakamura! Go! Hey! (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. It's really weird because I can literally walk over to your place right now, but the pandemic is going strong, so we got to be safe. Yes. The other thing, Go, I really appreciate that you hit me up every once in a while to remind me to get some sunlight because, (laughs) you know, we're all just in our houses. It's so important, man. Yeah, like...
1: It was a game changer for me. Yeah,
0: you go, you come to LA, then you're just locked into your place.
1: <laughs> yeah, strangely, yeah. this pandemic has made me healthier. <laughs> right, you're more deliberate
0: about, about your lifestyle now. Absolutely. I totally feel you. So we met in the late 2000s at the San Francisco, San Francisco. International Asian American Film Festival. It's now called CAM Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ming and Ping, my band, Opened up for you, go Nakamura. I think no, I think I opened for you. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty hilarious. sure I opened for you. Man, you were like um, so admired by those folks at the um, at the film festival, and I you have a really great relationship with them, right?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the way I got involved was um, just a lot of my friends were working in the box office. You know, I, I would just go as just a movie fan and I just loved seeing these films that I can only see at this festival. Yeah. And then, you know, my friends would just be like, they'd recommend all these movies and they'd be able to get me discounted tickets or whatever, or they'd get me into some of these parties. The parties were super fun because you get to meet, <laughs> you know, directors and fellow artists. So yeah, yeah it was it was really invaluable. So uh-huh. I'm really excited about this conversation because
0: it's about music and movies and life. Mm-hmm. However, there's I couldn't find that much on your history, like your personal history online. <laughs> You're like a mystery man. So- um, Am I? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd really love to learn more about like
1: your family's heritage and your, your Japanese heritage mm-hmm. too. My dad <laughs> was Japanese, Japanese. And then my mom is uh, fourth generation. Yeah. Oh wow. Japanese American. She's about as American as you can get. You know, she grew up in Ohio. She was the homecoming oh, wow. queen in high school. She was the girl who played piano for all the musicals and stuff, and was super popular. <laughs> my parents met because my dad came over in like 1968. He was repairing eight-track stereos in in cars, so he was like an electrical engineer. Yeah. They met at like a like an Obon festival, and then started dating, and then.
0: Wait, but got how, married did, here. how did that yeah. bring
1: him to the U.S.? Um, him and a bunch of young guys, like fresh out of college got hired. Oh, that's uh, so cool. By this company.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's like specific equipment that he had to like deal with, right? Specialized stuff. Yeah.
1: And then he kind of went on to become like a salesman for, um, semiconductors. Nice. Eventually.
0: So were you yeah. born
1: in the Midwest? No, I was actually born in Japan. So my parents got married, and then they went back to Japan. And then my mom ended up working for that company, like as a secretary. <laughs> That's awesome. And then yeah, it was cool. And then shortly after I was born, came back to the states. And then um, I never lived in the same place for more than four years. So
0: yeah,
1: I've lived in Ohio, New Jersey, Massachusetts like three times, California like three times. So interesting. Ping pong.
0: Growing up with Japanese parents and then being born in japan actually was that like a big part of your identity as a child obviously the
1: midwest doesn't have too many japanese at the time right in the 80s in the 80s you'd be surprised man so after after the incarceration camps and world yeah. War too there are a lot of people who went to ohio oh interesting also seabrook new jersey so um i guess you'd call it is that an exodus When a bunch of people (laughs) exodus Um, is like a metal band but (laughs) some of my earliest memories are growing up in the buddhist church oh cool my grandma was super involved so i guess you know when these people left the camps they all congregated in this buddhist church community yeah so just making tons of food i just remember a lot of food at every you know (laughs) every sunday and
0: uh on your um, mom's side were they a part of the internment camps and stuff Yes.
1: Yeah. So my, um, crazy. Yeah. My grandma, her first husband died young. And then so she met my mom's father in camp. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, they met in the camp.
0: Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. All of those stories are so fascinating because it's like such a weird period in American history. Just like, what the F?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Crazy, man.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a chance to walk through the Japanese American Museum and really, like, look at every single thing in that exhibit. Yeah. And um, incredible. it's crazy to me that it took me until my mid-20s or something to learn about that stuff. It's just, like, public education doesn't even talk about that,
1: you know? They don't.
0: Within your family, was it hard, as you were growing up, to learn about that
1: history, about, like, internment era it's really strange, man. Like so I knew about it. I was talking to my relatives about it and they wouldn't really say much. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's out of like shame or It's trauma, dude. It's the same with the Vietnamese it's, it is trauma.
0: population. It's hard for them to talk I, about that.
1: I actually did a report sophomore year of high school and I interviewed one of my relatives and that was hmm. kind of the first like wow, that was fucked up, kinda, of, you know. Yeah. Excuse my language. And I always knew it was messed up. Like he his the quote was he said they're supposed to be protecting us but the how come the rifles were turned inward you know and i was like wow Oof. and that was like part of my paper it seemed like an external thing then but then when i moved to la i ended up going to manzanar oh, and wow. actually going and experiencing it and the heaviness was like oh man so so palpable and
0: yeah and you like see how desolate and like such a bad condition out there too, right? When yeah. you see that stuff and you're like, man, I can't believe they forced everybody
1: from their normal lives into this. When you walk on that soil and then, you, then you're really putting yourself in that situation. And I was enraged, man. I yeah. was just like so angry and, and sad. Yeah. So, yeah, and it seems yeah. like that probably drove
0: a lot of your willingness and your interest in kind of working with um, Asian American culture in your work.
1: I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely like a frustration of always being the other, right? I mean, yeah. so many people have talked about, it. I think it, I think it's getting better now because people are talking about it, but back like in like the nineties or whatever, yeah. no one talked yeah. about it. Yeah, it was never. Man,
0: I'm glad we're doing all that. And that's, I feel like that's what this show is too. And yeah. these conversations have been awesome mm-hmm. for that. Um. So moving around a lot, how did you discover like your artisticness?
1: Oh man. I haven't thought about that. I
0: I read that you made like cards and gifts and artwork for your parents and stuff.
1: Yeah. I had a lot of friends who were very talented, so I think I was just trying to copy them. It wasn't like something that was necessarily self-generated, but I'd just be like, oh, that's really, that's a really cool idea. I'm going to see how I can add to this or whatever yeah maybe it was also kind of like a survival skill because if I knew that I was good at drawing, it'd be easier to make friends. You know, I just remember also um when I first moved to California, a bunch of these kids were really into Dungeons and Dragons. So I started <laughs> like getting really into Dungeons and Dragons and science fiction and stuff. and um uh, I mean i was I was into it, but it was also kind of like a way to kind of get along with these kids. You know? uh-huh.
0: since you moved a lot, did you have to like make new friends every few years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. How, how do
0: you think that affected you as an a as a
1: person? It was hard, man, because like you get close to these people and then and then it's like, all right, now I gotta go, you know yeah, it always right. seemed to happen during these like pivotal times, like preschool going into kindergarten. I moved like in the middle of kindergarten. I moved in the middle of like fourth grade. I moved halfway into freshman year. The hardest was like fourth grade to freshman year. I built up some really great friends. Some people I still are in my life now, which is awesome. But it was really sad. I was like, oh man, like now I got to go, you know, like, yeah. just becoming really close. And- so you were a creative kid. And I
0: wonder when that creativity began to channel into music.
1: So my mom was really, she still is a great pianist. She'd always be playing um, Chopin. So I'd fall asleep. That ah. I'd always She played guitar too. So she taught me how to finger pick. She was my first guitar teacher. She's a good singer. And also she would record like the radio on the cassette. And then she would just like, you know, leave those cassettes lay- laying around. So I'd put them in and I'd like, it'd be like hollow notes or something. Yeah. Or it'd be like, you know, whatever the cool hits were. I used to do um, that too. <laughs> yeah. I never would have thought of doing that, but she she got me into records. You know, she bought me all the Beatles stuff, got me into like folk and Motown. A lot That's of soul awesome. music. So that, that really shaped me. That's cool.
0: Cause it's like music making as well as music appreciation
1: from your Mm -hmm. mom. Um,
0: And then you eventually went, you got out of high school and went to the Berkeley College of Music. Yeah. What was your focus there while you were studying?
1: Uh, My focus there was guitar performance. It's like the most boring major. Is it? And I realized that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was good in that I just got to play guitar all the time. You know? But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was already doing that. And um, I learned a lot because uh, my roommate was like one of the better guitarists at the school. So I learned a lot from him. Yeah, I just had like a lot of really talented friends It just put me in this other level. I thought it was like a hot shot, you know, when I was in <laughs> high school. And then I come here and it's just like, holy crap. I'm like a very small fish in like a bigger pond. Well, another reason why I went to Berkeley was um, going back to the moving thing. Like a lot of my friends from high school in Boston ended up going to Berkeley. Mm. I was in a jazz improvisation class there. It was, high school was cool, man. Like in in Massachusetts, we had like a jazz improv class and our teacher there was a guy named Jeff Leonard who was a Berkeley graduate and he was amazing. He was just like super cool guy. We all looked up to him. We were like, "Oh, this guy went to Berkeley, and we want to be like him." So, you know, there's a yeah. part of me that was like inspired. You know, yeah, I always wanted to like be a
0: composer. Oh, interesting! That's yeah. so cool. And um, that obviously eventually led to your work as a composer.
1: Wow. It's a long path, man. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. If you think back to that time, what did you expect your career trajectory to be?
1: <laughs> I, I thought I'd be like in a band like Journey or something, and be like the hotshot. <laughs> Yes. Or be like Van Halen. But then shortly after I graduated, that all changed. You know, I was playing in bands and then just like this side band. And I was like, this kind of sucks. I don't I don't like these songs. These songs are mm. crappy. I don't like the inner tor- turmoil of these bands. But then I started, there's a couple things that happened. Like one, I, I watched a Bob Dylan documentary called Don't Look Back. It's incredible, man. You should watch it. I'm writing it down. He's, <laughs> he's such a jerk, but he's also such a genius. I realized he's painting pictures with words. And I was like, I want to do that. And also it kind of brought me back to the Beatles. Because like when I was at Berkeley, it was all about jazz, Charlie Parker, all these crazy fusion guitar players. But then when I left that, I remember going to a party and someone was playing the Beatles, uh, George Harrison, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And I was just stunned at how beautiful that song. Like I always knew, I grew up with that song, but I hadn't heard it for like, you know, maybe a decade. And I was like, oh my God, I got to listen to this stuff again. And it was really like just my first love. Yeah. So the Bob Dylan thing was one thing. And then the second thing was I got turned on to Elliot Smith. Yeah. And he was like the Beatles all over. He gave me the same feeling and we had the same kind of influences. Like I could tell he's influenced by classical piano, folk guitar, finger picking Mm-hmm. Um, and then like this kind of gentle, almost like George Harrison ish sound. And I saw him live, like probably like eight times. And most of the time, you know, he, he was just, just by himself you yeah. know, on the stage. And I was like, I want to do that. That's crazy. So Cause then, I,
0: I see you perform like just by yourself with your guitar and I'm like, God, I could never do that ever.
1: <laughs> sure you could. It's just, uh, it's a different, it's a different thing. Cause I mean, I, I always wanted to be in a band and have a band, but like, I could never, I'm not like a good leader, <laughs> I'm not like a good band leader, man. Yeah. I mean, I love playing with people and I just love like, I'll choose people to back me up who I already love what they do. So I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. them, you know, just like, yeah, that's yeah let's play. Way. Whereas I've been in other bands where it's like, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that. And it's all like, you stay in your lane and yeah. you know, it has to sound like it sounds like in my head. And that's That's totally cool if like, you know, you're getting paid or if it's like everyone is just like agreed on this is the vision. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I can't do that, though. (laughs) So you started
0: booking solo shows and writing your own material?
1: Yeah. It took about four years, four to six years. I'd say like my most successful year as a solo singer-songwriter was 2010, Everything seemed to, like, solidify. Also, it was easier to get a gig as a solo singer-songwriter. Opening gigs, you know? Say you want to open for a band, you're like, hey, it's just me, and I just need a DI box and a mic. Right, (laughs) right. okay, you're hired. Did you ever have to, like, get a job outside of music to carry you
0: through while you were doing that stuff?
1: Yeah, all the time. Yeah, music never really paid the bills Uh until recently. But, uh, yeah, I was teaching guitar lessons. I was... uh, bartender for like five years oh wow. uh, I worked at a brewery as a brewer's assistant in a couple of years oh interesting that was super fun well you got a long
0: ass rap sheet that I'm gonna just read through <laughs> <laughs> you've um you put out five full-length albums a bunch of singles mm-hmm. I think your first album was in the mid2000s
1: yeah daylight savings uh, yeah. I just did it in my bedroom and that was like very influenced by Elliot Smith of course
0: yeah, yeah. How did you get songs
1: into films at that point in your career? It's pure luck. Like I had a friend who was a music licensing person Uh, and she would actually hit me up all the time. Like, do you know a band that sounds like Wilco or something? Or I need a song that sounds like the Beach Boys or something. So then one day she hit me up and she was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch your song to this movie. And I was like, awesome. You know, any amount is great. Yeah. (laughs) So that was, that was kind of my first foray. You've worked with the German composer,
0: Mark uh, Streitenfeld. Streitenfeld. And you guys worked together on a bunch of Ridley Scott films, American Gangster, Gangster. A Good Year, and Body of Lies. So
1: Mark was one of my... uh students in high school guitar students Whoa. So he, yeah he was um he was a german exchange student yeah we hit it off and he was like i like how you play guitar could you teach me um some hendrix stuff and i was like yeah man yeah so like you know he'd come <laughs> over once a week and uh he was super devoted and he said that he still has like some of the sheets that i wrote out for him wow. which is really yeah. funny then we both graduated and then he came to visit me in boston actually at Berkeley, and I guess he decided he that wasn't really for him, so then he, he ended up coming to LA and I kind of lost track of him. And then uh, a couple of years later, he just shows up, knocks on you know, I was at my parents' house and he <laughs> knocks on the door. He's like, Hey man, I'm working with Hans Zimmer, yeah, I'm Hans Zimmer's assistant. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Who's Hans Zimmer? <laughs> and then, yeah, he just he was his, his assistant for many years and uh ended up becoming uh Ridley Scott's main composer, super. Talented dude, man, and I guess things really took off. Like I think around two thousand five, two thousand four, he was like, "Hey, um, I, I'm working on this project. You want to come over and stay with me, and we'll just write music." And he he couldn't tell me what it is. He's like, "Yeah, we're <laughs> gonna write. Uh, just study like French music and these chants, chansons, and Serge Gainsbourg and stuff." So I, you know, I was like listening to all this stuff, and I go over and he's like, let's go buy an accordion. So we went and got an accordion <laughs> and like, let's go find some chimes or whatever and like go buy some chimes and stuff. And it turned out that we were recording demos for a good year, which takes place in France. Uh, and I never saw any of the picture. It was oh, always wow. like, okay, we have to make something kind of like rubber soul, the Beatles, but it's like French or something. I was like, Okay, cool. So we'd like do that. And then um, it was so fun, man. Like, just, <laughs> just this mystery thing, you know? And I couldn't talk about it. Yeah, I didn't even know what was gonna make it in the film until I actually went to the theater, and I was like, oh, that made it in, and I recorded that at my desk. Yeah, it was funny. That's great. You also
0: composed some music for a silent film, uh, The Dragon Painter, this really trippy (laughs) Japanese-American romance movie. And then, nobody I know has this opportunity, but uh, this must have been life-changing, Dave Boyle had a film called Surrogate Valentine in which you made the music, but you were also one of the characters, like the character.
1: <laughs> bizarre.
0: Yeah, and eventually that turns into a sequel and then a third sequel, which uh, mm-hmm. was directed by Lin Chen, right? hmm Did you ever imagine that that thing was going to blow up and become this
1: like lifelong career-defining thing? Not at all. <laughs> it's so bizarre, man. I, mean, I told you there's stuff that I did that I... Like forgot about that's like one thing that I I forget man I, I, I'm not an actor <laughs> but I met Dave at that same film festival same the cam fest uh-huh. yeah we just kind of hit it up we just hung out and and then he was like hey I want to I want to make a video for you you know I was like okay uh, I I wrote a song for one of his movies actually to help promote it uh-huh. called White on Rice and then we just walked around San Francisco and he shot me in black and white. And then I guess that was sort of a, I didn't know it at the time, but an audition for this other project that he had. Wow. He wanted to make a very small movie, you know, almost like all made up of like pickup shots, just keep it as small and as mobile as possible, just super guerrilla filmmaking. And um, I think the story was at first, it was about a traveling filmmaker, but he thought that that was too like masturbatory. (laughs) So he decided (laughs) to change it into a singer songwriter. He's like, okay, you're gonna basically pay, play me and here's the story and man, what an incredible opportunity you know I got to like write it with them and like give all this input and actually even like chain you know write my own lines half the time, yeah, and who gets to do that? It's just it's <laughs> that's so, what um, i'm saying dude. <laughs> amazing yeah i was I'm
0: super fortunate um uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet um I think it'll change our
1: relationship once I see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, yeah. It's the first one is so goofy, man. The 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 first two are super goofy, and the third one is like much more mature. You know, yeah. Lin Lin just did such a great job. That's so great. Um, yeah.
0: Last year, you made some music for the Bruce Lee documentary put out by ESPN mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. called "Be Water," and that was directed by a Vietnamese American, Bao Nguyen. How did you guys begin that relationship, and how did that project get into the world?
1: I met Bao to, at the film festival here in los angeles oh wow And Bow was also friends with um with dave oh actually you know i hired bal i was documenting different studios across the u.s so i went to new york and then i hired him to film that and then we just stayed in touch he would hire me for these different like kind of commercial projects mm-hmm. so 10 years i guess that we've known each other kind of built up a working relationship yeah and then he was like hey um you're in the running to score this Bruce Lee doc what do you think and I was like holy crap <laughs> that's awesome. that is like I didn't think I was gonna get it to be honest I was just like who gets to do that not me then, like, <laughs> yeah almost killed me but um it was it was incredible yeah I got a chance to watch it and
0: um, I'm gonna show a little image and talk about it so cool Go's latest project is Bee Water, which he did the music for, and that is a documentary about Bruce Lee as part of ESPN's 30 for 30 series. Like every Asian, <laughs> I grew up idolizing Bruce Lee, but what I got from the film was that it exposes much more of the social and political and racial and, frankly, racist environment in which Bruce Lee built his life and his career during the 60s and 70s. And all that is reflected in the music, which goes from, you know, solemn, tense to reverent, triumphant even. Uh, you can find all of Go's projects on his website, gonakamura.com, and that's spelled G-O-H-N-A-K-A-M-U-R-A dot com. Let's take a little break. Hey friends! Not sure if you know this, but I serve on the board of a nonprofit called the Slants Foundation. We're a volunteer-driven organization that provides resources, scholarships, and mentorship to Asian-American creatives looking to incorporate activism into their art. We also produce events that feature these talented creators. Our last virtual concert helped over 500 people register to vote for the very first time. You can learn about and support the Slants Foundation by visiting theslants.org. Thanks, and see you soon. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, it was really great movie, and I actually learned a few things that I, you know, I thought I knew about Bruce Lee, but I um, do. Just seeing like the general environment of the time that was never really explored in any other media.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. He was a tenacious dude, relentless. Yeah, you
0: know something that's cool about your work is you've always kind of worked within the Asian American culture, and lots of projects that deal with that. And I was wondering if you like deliberately set out to kind of work, network yourself into those circles, or if that just was a natural thing that came about.
1: It was pretty natural. I can pinpoint like when I first became aware of this community, um, there was like an article, a news article about one of my um, high school classmates, Gene Yang, who is now a very successful uh, cartoonist. And he, you know, he was like in my Japanese language class in high school, and I, I hadn't heard from him or or didn't know what he was up to and I was like wow this this guy's doing like this was before his career took off but he I was just like dude this guy's doing comics he's amazing <laughs> you know and it was like part of this show called aperture put on by this um Asian American arts group called uh Kearney Street Workshop and they've been around for a long time but um actually a lo- an- another one of my friends was doing something for this show as well so i I checked it out, and then, um yeah, I just got introduced to all these really talented and smart artists and people who are into art. Another way that I got introduced to all these people was when I was working at the brewery, one of the bartenders had a band, and he was like he was like, "Hey, go, you want to I know you play and sing, you want to open up for my band at this Irish pub." yeah, so this Irish pub was like in the Richmond district of San Francisco. And a lot of these people who were involved in these Asian American groups lived in that neighborhood. Mm. So then that kind of became my um, home away from home. And the first show I played, um, all these people from that group kind of showed up. It was kind of cool. And then, you know, it was like a life-changing moment. Real recognized real, yeah. (laughs) It was cool, yeah. I mean, they were doing like really cool stuff, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously
0: you clicked into that community fairly easily.
1: Yeah, man, I never took like Asian American studies or I never thought about myself as an Asian American. You know, I was just always like, yeah, I'm like the one Asian guy with a bunch of, you know, white people, (laughs) like, which is fine, you know, like that was like very much my high school and college experience. And you know, those people are amazing, but I never really had like Asian American friends until 2004, maybe two thousand. Wow, interesting. Yeah,
0: it's strange. Cool. I'm glad all that happened cuz <laughs> you're doing yeah. such cool stuff and like the representation I guess and the mm-hmm. education that all of this stuff has been bestowing upon the world it's been like so valuable, you know. It's super cool. Mm. Go your last album was 5 or 6 years ago, right? Works. I don't
1: even <laughs> <laughs> I don't even consider that an album, but um I mean technically I feel like my last album was 2008. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) That was my second one. And then everything else, like uh, the thing after that was more like a film score or songs Mm. that I wrote for the films. But not necessarily like I wouldn't consider it an album. And then works is just like a bunch of cover songs. Like uh, it was actually my friend who was that music license person told me, OK, you should make a cover album because we're always looking for cover songs. Yeah. And that could be lucrative for you. I was like, all right. So then, you know, I was, that was during a time that I was like, I was house sitting a lot. So I'd bring my gear to people's, house, my friends' houses or whatever and record like a bunch of cover songs. Oh,
0: cool. <laughs> um, and then you spilled the beans a little bit. You're starting to think about a new album lately?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no real beans to spill. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm always thinking about albums and stuff, but. Man, it's just hard to focus right now. I'm sure many people can um, relate to this, right? Absolutely. I mean, music is still an escape for me. It can be an escape. Like, I can close my eyes and just disappear. But then to deliberately try and create something and just process everything that's going on, it's, it's too much, man. Yeah, I don't know if now's the right time to do that.
0: I totally feel you. Plus you're you've got a few projects going on for film music, right?
1: Uh nothing with the film. I'm working on a project that I can't really give <laughs> any information on right now, but um it's um it's eating up 110% of my creative energy. 110 of percent of my energy period. <laughs> but I mean I'm you know, I'm fortunate to have something to focus on and stuff. And whenever the time is right, I think maybe it'll like just gush out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, I wonder how you see all of these things going on eventually coming out into the music, but it looks like we're going to have to see.
1: Yeah, man. I don't know if it's going to be pretty.
0: (laughs) That's actually great. I mean, we're all kind of just like building up this creative energy that's just going to like come out eventually. And um, I feel the same way, right? There's a Mm. lot going on right now and it's hard for me to execute, but I'm amassing that energy inside me. All the time I can
1: feel it. Yeah, you should do it if you feel like it, you know, obviously. But as far as like trying to like market an album <laughs> or try to like uh-huh. release it on all these platforms and stuff, so, I don't even know, man. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It's a co- commitment.
0: So this has been a weird ass time for everyone, but um, mm-hmm. you also lost your father recently. And another recent guest on Coffee with Bao had talked about losing her mother recently. And she said that the process of digesting grief in this moment with all this stuff going on is yeah. extra complicated and extra weird. Yeah, it's, um,
1: you know, I, I think I've only processed like 20% of it, wow. to be honest. It's going to be a long road. I mean, I've obviously had to accept it. It was kind of like we knew something was wrong and then it just rapidly declined and mm-hmm. then he was gone. And that was, that was super traumatic, you know, and then on top of all, you know, not to get into details, but the last three months of 2020 were like a constant pummeling, like things just got worse. I was like, can't get any worse. Got worse, got worse, got worse, got worse. And man, I, I don't know. I thought like I was just not, I was just going to disintegrate, to be honest, but yeah, I I don't know. I was just like, I'm not going to go out like this.
0: (laughs) What have some things? I'm not go what have been some things that you've been doing to to cope or to um,
1: to help you? I just boil it down to feed myself, clean up after myself, or try to uh, <laughs> exercise, get some sun. Those four things like are essential. Sometimes that like takes up the whole day, man. Like <laughs> it's incredible it's like i'm taking care of a pet yeah but the pet is you right <laughs> the pet is me and it's unruly and yeah i feel like
0: a plant sometimes too when you uh remind me to get sun because i'm like <laughs> oh yeah think of photosynthesis yourself i need that <laughs> it's so true man
1: yeah it regulates so much you know your mood your sleep and it's important
0: yeah the pandemic has given all of us a lot of time to like self-reflect and think about stuff and um you know, aside from the basics, just staying alive and staying human, um, is there anything in the personal development front that you're working on for, for Go?
1: Oh, man, so much. And I'm always just trying to strengthen my empathy or whatever, you know, or um, just try to be more patient and just be like a better friend and better better person, man. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, that's yeah. a never-ending process. I'm I'm just so lucky, man. Like I have so many caring friends and caring family in my life and uh I want to be like them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Also so lucky. <laughs>
0: something about you is you've said it multiple times, which is I never expected
1: that would be me to have these opportunities. <laughs> like that's so great. It's bizarre though. <laughs> it is bizarre. It feels like it's a dream.
0: Yeah. Um this. listening to your music and following your your musical releases. I definitely hear the Elliott Smith influence with the vulnerability, the way you treat your vocals. There's just a lot there, right? But somebody I really love that I hear in your music is John Bryan, he's one of my idols. Actually, they're both my idols. But John Bryan, for sure, because you've got these sounds that are so natural and so playful and so, um, you can hear the exploration in your music. It's a long setup. But aside from the music, I feel like you've kept a really consistent, like low personal profile, which I kind of admire on that end. I wonder if you have a tip for me to create work that's both vulnerable and and explorative, but also like keep myself a little bit insulated from that exposure.
1: Man, I don't know if I have any advice. There's There's nothing really to report as far as like having a profile. If if anything's coming from my life, it's like super subconscious or something. I, it's not like I set out to write a song about an experience or something. Yeah, think, um, It's more like a, I see it as a crossword puzzle. So I have this vague idea of the feeling of the song maybe. And then maybe I'll have like a hook or like a central seed. And then I just sort of like write like little bubbles. And how can I make this relate to that? Wow. I flip this so it means something else and it's like a yeah it's a big puzzle I need like three notebooks wow Wow. one song so like (laughs) right here write something here write something here and just kind of like it's a mess I make a big mess
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I love that when it comes out it's just like it's you you know it's so
1: so interesting so
0: real yeah
1: anyway I appreciate that thank you yeah absolutely I I don't I don't know what I'm doing, man. Every to be honest, every time I sit down to write a song, it's like I've never written anything. How do I do this? So I have to kind of figure it out. That's really cool because you've done a lot of work, <laughs> man. You got the one thing portfolio. I want to add. Um, is that like moving to LA, I, shortly before I moved to LA, I started co-writing a lot. Mm. So um, I was writing with a guy named Chops. He was one of the founding members of the Mountain Brothers, this legendary hip hop group from the early 2000s. I think they're signed to the same label as the Fugees, and mm. super influential. He was um, scoring a documentary. He lives in Philly. And then I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to go to New York. Let's try to write together. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And then we hold up in a room for like, you know, three days. And we had like three or four songs. We wrote a song a day, yes. recorded, finished. So that's like another amazing discovery that came out of like these film fests. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I have like an album with him, but we, we haven't released it yet. Man. So I'd love like, to it's, hear that. We kind of wrote these songs to uh, pitch to music licensing. So it's very different. It's more pop, but it was cool because he's a rapper. So we had like a lot of um, fun kind of like. Yeah. Different skill sets. These phrases.
0: Totally. Yeah. Man, I'm excited to hear your new work go and see whatever motion picture stuff you're working on. It's just, uh, (laughs) I really admire how like broad your portfolio is. It's just so cool. And um, I'm glad you're my neighbor now.
1: (laughs) I know once we can get vaccinated and whatnot. Yeah. Have coffee and. A real space. Yeah.
0: Thanks for doing this, Go. Thanks for spending all this time with me. really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Bao. Thanks for having me. Hang tight. I'm going to give a little outro, and then I'll come back and say a proper goodbye to you. Cool. That was Go Nakamura. His latest project is called Be Water. It's a documentary film about Bruce Lee, directed by Bao Nguyen. You can find Go at gonakamura.com, and you spell that G-O-H-N-A-K. A-M-U-R-A dot com. I hope you like the show today. If you are wanting to support me, you can go to com. Uh, Otherwise, just share this with somebody and I'll see you next time. You want to see our beautiful mugs while we chat? Coffee with Bao is also available in video. Just search for it on YouTube and hit the subscribe button.